Welcome to Every Nation Ramsa. We are a church that sees lives, community, society transformed through discipleship in the word, the presence and the power of God. My name is Carol Gosman and we are beginning a series called Undefeated, The Secret Life of Warriors. What does it take to be the kind of person that does great exploits? What kind of secret life do you have to live so that your public life is filled with success and and exploits and good things and following God and doing the works of the kingdom. We're going to examine this in this series. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone watching this podcast that you would cause each and every one of them to become a new person. Lord God, I pray for radical transformation in our hearts, Lord God. I pray that we would see things differently. We would love better. We would know more. We would understand more clearly, Lord God, and we would live out the best possible version of ourselves in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Here we have the tallest man who ever lived. Well, certainly the tallest man we have on record. His name is Robert Wadlow. And he had a genetic abnormality that caused him just to continually grow. By the time he was eight years old, he was as tall as his his father. By the time he was nine years old, he was strong enough to pick his father up in his arms from an armchair and carry him upstairs to his bedroom. He had to have a special desk made for him at primary school. And by the time he left high school, he was eight foot four inches, which is 254 centimeters. That is huge. By the time he died, he was 2.72 meters or eight feet and 11 inches and a little bit more. Isn't that amazing? We don't see people like that much. Although he was known as the gentle giant of Illinois and really from all accounts, had a fantastic personality. He was the kind of person you really wanted to know. A very interesting chap. There have been, well, there has been at least one person in history who was a bit different from that, who was as tall as that. We have him on record in the Bible as Goliath. You will know that very famous story of David and Goliath. The story of how a young shepherd boy slayed a giant. This giant is reported to be four to six cubits high. You can read it in 1 Samuel 17. This was approximately the same size as Robert Wadlow. Of course, he was as big and as strong with just a grumpy temperament. He was a Philistine and he stood in front of the armies of Israel and he taunted them. And he said, let anyone come forward who can defeat me. If you defeat me, we will become your servants. If I defeat you, you will all become enslaved by us. The nation of Israel was terrified. No one came forward. They all felt like this giant of a man would defeat them very easily. One young shepherd boy came into the midst of the camp. He wasn't even supposed to be there. His name was David. And David made this remarkable statement, or rather he made these remarkable questions. He asked these remarkable questions at that moment. He said, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? These are obviously rhetorical questions. Well, certainly the second one is, what is he saying? He's saying this man should not be allowed to stand in the way of the purposes of God. No matter how big you are, no matter how strong you are, God's purposes must prevail. What put this kind of courage in David? What was 
in the foundations of his character? What were the habits he lived by that created this kind of personality that would stand up to something like that and say, no, you may not live here. You may not operate in my space. We may not face such giants as Goliath on a battlefield, but we certainly face giants. Every single one of us are going to have to stand up against intimidation. We're going to have to stand up against hopelessness. We're going to have to stand up against anger and rage. We're going to have to stand up against injustice. In our society, we call to be the Davids of our day, who say no to wrong, who say no to injustice, who stand in the way of the intimidation and the anger of the enemy's kingdom and say, only the things of God will prevail here. Who are these? to defy the armies of the living God. What makes us into Davids? What kind of environment do we need to live in? What kind of environment do we need to cultivate on the inside in order to be this kind of person? Well, David is known in Acts, we hear about it, as a man after God's own heart. In other words, he was a man who pursued God. He wrote in Psalm 22 verse 1, he wrote this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In Psalm 63, he wrote wrote this most poignant phrase, sentence. He says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land. A little while after that, he says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Can you hear coming from the heart of this man, a passion for his God, a pursuing of intimacy and relationship with God. He was the kind of man that dug deep in his relationship with God to find internal strength. There's another Psalm that traditionally he is supposed to have written. It doesn't specifically say he wrote it, but All the ancient scholars attributed it to David. And that's Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a fascinating psalm. It's 176 verses long, the longest chapter in the Bible. It extols the virtues of God's word from start to finish. Tradition tells us that it's the psalm that David wrote and then used as a first reader for his son Solomon to teach him the letters of the alphabet because it has 22 stanzas or 22 verses and each of those verses every line in that verse begins with a letter of the alphabet starting at the first letter and moving through all the letters of the Hebrew alphabet all 22 of them. In the psalm David uses eight words that are interchangeably used for the word of God. And from start to finishes, finishing, he attacks it from different angles. He speaks about the glory and the majesty and the beauty of God's word. He, he speaks about it as something personal, something also big and large, something effective, something able to change him and to change his world. I want to look at a, one of those stanzas. It's the second stanza of the psalm. And it starts in verse 9. It says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in riches. 
I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. How beautiful. Can you see a young man working out how he's going to be successful in life and realizing that he's going to have to store and hide the word of God in his heart. He's going to have to live by it. He's going to have to allow it to dictate how he thinks, what he does. He's going to have to order his steps according to it. He's going to have to love it, meditate on it, work with it, think about it, speak it. This was David's heart. This is what he used to pull himself close to the heart of God. This is what he used to help himself to understand who God was and what God would have him do in life. I want to look at three ways in which the word does this for for us. Three ways in which The word turns us from people who would run from the Goliaths of our age to people who would stand firm in that place, declare God's purposes, resist the intimidation and the anger and the bluster and the nonsense that comes from the Goliaths of our age. I want to look at three ways in which the word does this, changes us from the runaway person to the stand your ground person. The first thing that the word does is that it it reveals God's will to us and in so doing helps us to step away from our self-will to God's will. We live in an age where we are encouraged in the media, in adverts, in every sphere, in the books we read, in the articles we digest, in the conversations we have. We are exhorted by the world, to live our own life, to be who we want to be, to to find our self-expression. The Bible talks about something a little bit different. Of course, it wants you to be the best you can be, but it, it says this. It says that as we as we align ourselves to God's will, as we come to understand God's will for our lives, as we submit our own preferences to God's preferences, we find ourselves becoming more fully who we were meant to be. We come we find ourselves as we as we submit ourselves to God's leading, we find ourselves becoming more free, more able, more strong, more, more courageous. And this is what David discovered. He discovered that it was no longer about how he was going to live out his life. It was more about how he was going to live out God's life in his lifetime. Verses 9 and 10 that I emphasized earlier. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Can you hear the cry of David? As a young man saying, I want you Lord above everything. I want your word. I want the knowledge of you. I want the understanding of you. I want it hidden deep in my heart. I want it to be the thing on which I'm founded from start to finish. The word provides a picture of right living that keeps us safe. This picture of right living keeps us fulfilled. It keeps us in joy because it keeps us with God. I don't know how you define success, but I heard the most brilliant definition of success recently. I didn't hear it firsthand. I heard it from a friend and then went and and found it. But it is by Dennis Peacock in one of his podcasts called The Essentials of Success. And he says this, Success is obedience 
to God's plan for us on earth. I measure my daily success by how much time I spend in God's presence, constantly interfacing with God about everything I do or say. Going day by ba- days, excuse me, going day by day, being in the awareness of God. As, as a, let me start that again. Going day by day, being in the awareness of God, a substantial amount of that day, so that the Holy Spirit and I are intertwined in our view of what's going on. And I am responding on a moment by moment basis to what I hear him say to me. This is his definition of success. And I I would say that the Bible defines success in that same way. Romans 8 verse 14 says this, all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. In other words, To be who you were meant to be, a son or a daughter of the Most High God, means to be led by the Spirit of God. It means that your life, your decisions, everything you do is determined and directed by the presence of God. How do we find that presence of God? How do we understand God's way? How do we live in that relationship? David defines it as guarding our hearts according to your word. Guarding our ways according to God's word. Seeking God with our whole hearts and therefore not wandering from his commandments. Titus 2 verse 14 says this. Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The world these days extols extols lawlessness. What it does is it it exalts self-will. God's word does the other. It draws you away from your self-will, your lawlessness, just doing whatever you want. And it puts you in your place where you do what's right. You do what's good. You do what's wholesome. It means you love when you'd rather not love. It means you stand when you'd rather run. It means you give when you'd rather withhold. It means you stand firm before the Goliaths of your world instead of running. It means like David, you take the five stones and even though you know it's a weapon that will probably not bring down a giant, you throw it at the giant and God takes that stone and he he puts his power behind it and he smacks it into the head of that giant and that giant falls down. I've often laughed in my heart when I've read the story of David and Goliath. You can go and read it in 1 Samuel 17, as I said earlier, but I've often laughed in that story because I noticed this, that David throws a stone at, at Goliath, the stone hits him in the forehead and then Goliath falls forward. If you know anything about physics, if you're hit by a missile of any kind, if you're going to fall after that missile hits you, you fall in the direction that the missile was moving because the momentum from the missile is transferred to you. So so if that stone was going to kill Goliath, Goliath would have fallen backwards. The fact that Goliath fell on his face is a sign that there was much more going on than that stone hitting David. In my mind... The Bible doesn't say this, but in my mind, I can just see God putting his hand behind the stone, his hand behind Goliath's head and bringing them together with great force. When we live in the word, when we allow the word to transform us, 
we become the kind of people that instead of self-preserving and running away from the battles, we run to the battles with God because we are convinced that God will undertake. He will take our efforts and he will put his supernatural power behind them and he will bring about a victory that we could not have done on our own. The word leads us from self-will to God's will. The other thing that the word does and certainly did for David is it takes us away from worldly worry to biblical meditation. Meditation is a, a word that's thrown around all over the place right now and it means different things to different people. But in the Bible it means this. It means to ruminate, think over Bring something to mind and continuously work it over in your mind. To look at it from all angles. To allow that thing to permeate your thinking. We meditate all the time. Not necessarily on the right things, but we do. We meditate. We do this kind of meditation all the time. How many times has a friend or a loved one been late in arriving for an appointment? And your mind for no reason, suddenly starts imagining all the terrible things that could have happened to that person. And your mind goes over and over different scenarios. How many times do you have conversations or thinking in your mind that just leads you to think negatively about a, per a situation that you don't have understanding about? How about when a colleague or a boss frowns while you're speaking and those thoughts just go through your mind of, Oh my word, I'm about to be fired. Maybe you don't start there. Maybe you start with a little bit of, I wonder why he frowned. I wonder why he's thinking that. Do you think he didn't like what I said? Oh my word, he doesn't like my work. Oh, I remember that other time he frowned. Oh my word, you can see. The next time he speaks to me, I'm, he's going to have a, a letter of dismissal in his hand. And what is this? Our minds meditating on the negative possibilities. What are we doing? We're doing the devil's work for him. We're allowing him to poison our minds with the wrong kind of thinking. We're meditating on fear. We're meditating on the negative things. The Bible wants to take us from that worldly worry to biblical meditation, to, to allow our minds to start resting on, thinking about, mulling over all the possible good things that God could be doing. How do we get our minds from worry to God's ways? Verse 15 in Psalm 119 says this, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. So said David. You know, the truth of the Israelite armies that were standing in front of Goliath at that time is that the reason they weren't standing in front of him and saying, we'll take you on, is because all kinds of negative scenarios were running through their minds. They had forgotten the word of God that said to them, I'm giving you this land. I will go before you. I will make a way for you. I will win your battles. They had forgotten the history of Israel, how God had parted seas for them, had pulled down the walls of Jericho, had won impossible battles for them. They had forgotten the word of God. They had not been meditating on it. And now they were just meditating on all the negative scenarios that could possibly happen. Psalm 91 verse 7 says this, No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Isaiah 54 verse 12 says this, And great shall be the peace of your children. You're sitting in that 
environment, your friend is late in coming, instead of thinking of all the bad things that are coming, how about thinking about, oh my word, God, God is the kind of God that will allow no evil to befall me, no evil to come near my tent or my dwelling place or the people I love or the environment in which I live. How about allowing that to become your meditation? How about when your child or your family member is not behaving that they, the way you expect them to or, and, you're, and you are tempted to think negative about that situation? How about meditating on Isaiah 54 and great shall be the peace of my children? No, God is, is filling my home with shalom. God is filling my environment environment with shalom those of you who don't have children those of you who aren't married how about thinking about how god is going to fill your environment with his peace his life is great how he's going to surround you with his protection how about meditating on that constantly and allowing that to be what defines the way you think about what's going on around you Hebrews 4 verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When we meditate on the word, it does this beautiful process of separating wrong thinking from right thinking. It discerns the thoughts and intents of your heart. It, it makes things obvious as to whether they are true or not. It puts up a standard by which we can evaluate every thought that comes into our heart. It, it's like a sword that separates what's right from what's wrong. It helps us to discern our own minds and our own hearts. Ephesians 5.26 says that Jesus cleanses the church by the washing of the water of his word. It's almost like, have you been to the malls recently when you had to go and do that emergency shopping? And there standing at the entrance of the mall is a security guard and in his hand he has a bottle of hand sanitizer. You may not get past that man until you've put up, out your hands and rubbed every part of your hands with that hand sanitizer. He is ruthless. He will hunt you down. If you walk to the side, he will come and find you. He is just, you may not enter. You may not enter that place without doing the hand sanitizer. I feel like Jesus stands at the doors of our minds and our thinking and he's he's got the word there it's like, it's like a mind sanitizer when a thought comes in and and he he's throwing the word at it he's he's allowing it to cleanse and destroy everything that is coming from the enemy and he's only allowing the pure and true thoughts in this is what the word does it stands like a god at the doors of your mind and it's kind of like a hand sanitizer destroying anything that does not look like Jesus. So what's some ways to meditate on the word? What's some ways to allow that word to get into your mind and your heart? We in our church have a simple acronym that we use to remember how to study God's word, how to allow it to infiltrate our mind and become part of our thinking. Interestingly enough, right in the middle of COVID-19, this acronym spells SOAP, S-O-A-P, just that thing that will, that will wash your hands and keep the, the virus away is the same thing that will keep the wrong thoughts away from your mind. SOAP, S stands for scripture. Take the scripture, read it, look at it from every angle, allow yourself to think about it, ask questions of it. 
read it slowly, read it out loud, allow yourself to hear it, notice the kinds of words that are used, ask why those words are used, picture the environment. The second one, the O, is to observe, and that is to observe the the story in which it's set. Why does it say the things it says? Why does it, why does it particularly put it that way? Who are the characters in the story? Why were they responding to one another as they are? What environment were they in? Was it, was it a desert they were standing in? Was it a house they were standing in? What difference does that make? So you begin to observe the context of the scripture and ask questions of it. What does that mean? How does that inform how the people are responding in this environment? The next thing you do is you apply the truth that you've teased out of this scripture to your own life. You say, okay, what does that mean for me? How must I now live in my environment in light of what I've learned from the scripture? And the last thing you do, of course, is you pray and you say, God, help me to live as if the scripture were true. Help me to live the truths of this scripture out in my everyday life. The word of God moves us from worldly worry to biblical meditation. The third thing that the word does is that it helps us make declarations of hope versus delusions of depression. Have you noticed the kind of thing that is coming out of people's mouths right now? Not the people in this church, because everyone I speak to in this church or in many Christian circles certainly are speaking godly positive, hopeful, courageous statements. But in many places, there's just delusions of depression, I like to say. It's like ways of thinking that are being verbalized that are just promoting a depressed and hopeless environment or hopeless way of looking at life. But God has something better for us. Verses 13 and 14 of Psalm 119 say this, With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in riches. There's a word that David uses throughout the psalm for the word of God. And it is the word debar. I love this word. Because it's, it's, it means, it means more than just a written word. It means a spoken word that comes from a heart of God that, that smashes into this world and creates a new reality. It's the, the powerful, spoken, expressed word of God in the Old Testament. Psalm 107, David says this, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word, or his debar, and he healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. There is a way that God is still speaking into the world today. His voice is still resounding into your situation. Hebrews tells us that he upholds all things by his powerful word. Word. What does that mean? It means that God's word is infusing our reality. It is, it is holding up the creation that he made. It is, it is infusing your life. It is speaking life and, and godliness and strength and courage to you. And the question is, will you open your ear and hear it? Will you allow it to permeate you? Will you allow it to define you? 
Will you allow it to set your life on a particular course? And here's the powerful thing, is that throughout the psalm, David David suggests that we can hear the debar of God, the spoken, powerful, enormous, upholding, life-giving word of God. And we can declare it with him into our circumstances. And as our words partner with the word of God, it creates a powerful force that declares into the environment what must be. As David stood before Goliath and declared the purposes of God, how can you stand and defy the armies of the living God, this man who's out of covenant with God? How can you stand and taunt the people who are in covenant with God? The the power and the force of David mirroring God's plan and God's will for that moment created that kind of success. And we need to be people just like that, that are meditating on, drawing in, living out the word of God. We're allowing the word of God to take us from worry to faith in God. We're allowing the word of God to transform our inner world. We're meditating on on it, living it. And finally, we're declaring it into our environments. And as we do, we It's almost like we pick up the refrain of heaven and we echo it through our environments. And as we do it, the whole of our environments hears not our words, but they hear the commandments of God. And everything must bow when God speaks. Everything must conform when God speaks. I don't know how how powerful you are. I don't know who you are. I don't know what kind of authority you carry But I know this, your words by themselves do not carry the power and authority of God's. So the way we get things done, the way things are transformed is that we allow ourselves to be conformed to his image. We allow ourselves to have the word of God define us and change us. And then we speak God's word. We speak what he has spoken. We look into situations and we allow our conversation, our declarations to be the image of what we have heard in the secret place from our Heavenly Father. So in conclusion, we become the kind of people that stand before the giants of this age and do not run. The kind of people who declare God's purposes instead of running. The kind of people who love when it's not easy to love. The kind of people who stand for justice in the face of injustice. The kind of people who will not bow to the pressures of this age and stand firm in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, living out the convictions of his kingdom. We become those kind of people when we allow God's word to remove our self-will and create God's will in our heart when we allow God's word to destroy worldly worry and we allow ourselves to meditate on God's word when we allow God's word to remove us from delusions of depression and take us to declarations of hope when we become or allow the word to create that within us, we become giant slayers. We become the Davids of our generation. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing this in each and every one of our hearts. Lord, right now I pray for everyone watching this podcast. I want to pray two things. First of all, if you feel like you need more courage in your life. You know you're facing some giants. You know that there are some things going on, your li- in, on in your life that are difficult to handle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you now, but at the same time, I'm going to ask God 
to take you deep into his word, to start undergirding the foundations of your life with the truths of his word. I'm going to ask you to take the soap challenge, to start taking scripture and spending time on it, observing it, meditating on it, allowing it to define you. I'm going to ask you to start applying that word to your life and I'm asking you to start praying that God would help you to live out the truths that you've learned. So I'm going to ask that you would become that. I'm going to pray for you now. God's going to bring a, a supernatural download of courage to you right now. He's that good. He's going to do it. The way you cultivate that and grow that is by remaining in the word. And the second group of people that I want to pray for is that as you are here, perhaps you've been invited to listen to this video, watch this video by some friends. Maybe you've you've been in the church a while, maybe you haven't, but you're far from Jesus and you want to make the next step toward Jesus. You want to say yes to him and you want to know more about him. I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to lead you in a prayer, but I'm going to also ask you in the comment section, you will see some links coming up. I'm going to ask you to press that link. It's a link to get connected to the church. If you press that link, you will be able to get connected with someone in this church, one of our pastoral staff, and they will be able to take you on the next steps of your journey towards Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, I want to ask right now that you would come and touch the hearts of the people watching this video. Lord God, I first, I ask for those people who they're facing giants and they want to be Davids in, in the face of these circumstances. They want to be the kind of people that want to stand up and declare God's purposes. Father God, I want to ask for them right now. If that's you, just put your hand on your heart where you are. Lord God, I just ask that you would come and touch them. You would come and speak into the inner recesses of their hearts. You would come and speak your will, your truth into those places, Lord God. Father God, give them strength where there was no strength. Give them courage where there was no courage. Give them conviction where there was no conviction. Lord God, I pray you would take them away from the self-doubt and the insecurity and the wavering in their heart to a sure ability to stand in the face of adversity. Lord God, give that to them, I pray. Touch them, pour out your grace. And then Lord, I want to pray right now for people watching this video who don't know you. Lord, I ask that you would draw them to you. Lord God, I just feel your tender heart reaching out to them. There's no condemnation and judgment as you do so. Lord God, you're, you're opening up a way for them. You are making, making a straight path for them to come to you. Lord God, for years and for or at least a, a long while in their minds, they felt a dissatisfaction with the way they've been living and what's been going on in their lives. And Lord God, you've been calling them all along. Lord God, I ask right now that you would enable them to answer that call. Give them a courage and the ability to say yes to you. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you would set me free. Lord, I surrender my life to you and I ask that you would lead me to become the kind of person and the person that I'm meant to be. Lord God, set me free. Become my Lord save me Lord. Amen. Lord I pray you bless every person on this video watching this video. 
Lord God, give them a fun week. Give them a courageous week. Help them to slay Goliaths this week. Amen.